Welcome to the first full episode of the World War Bitcoin podcast. You are in the right spot, and I hope you enjoy. Let's get some intro music in here before we start. All right, so few things I want to talk about in this podcast today. First of all, am I a bull or a bear? If you remember on December 2nd, I turned crabbish. There were just a few things that I didn't like that I was seeing. I was nervous. Are we going to hold the bull market support band or are we going to go lower? And we ended up going lower. Now we are well under the bull market support band, which is at about, last I checked, about $50,000. Several other things that I was looking at with the, the Federal Reserve with interest rates. So we'll examine that. I was a crab for several weeks. Where am I now? And let me make a case for why I stand where I stand. Secondly, I want to take a look at Arizona and Texas. If you haven't heard, they are looking to attempt maybe to make Bitcoin legal tender. Is that going to be, is it feasible? Is that going to be an uphill battle or is it just completely fruitless? I will examine that with a few things. And then last, I want to examine examine, again, examining more things, uh, this melt up. So there are certain people whose opinions I respect who believe that we are going to see some kind of an epic melt up talking S and P to $6,000, the Dow to $45,000, NASDAQ way higher than it's ever been. And crypto would go along with that ride, the, the rise. And then after that, there would be a crash an even more epic crash. And some people are estimating that it would be about 70 to 80% for the S&P 500, which is just, it, it's wild to prices we haven't seen in years. So does that have any validity? And then I'll, general, I'll share my general market outlook for the remainder of the year. So, and for the remainder of the bull run. But first of all, am I a bull or a bear? And I haven't been making a lot of TikToks lately. My mother-in-law has COVID. She works for me. I've had to fill in for her. But I did in my most recent TikTok just basically say that I am right now cautiously bear bullish, excuse me, <laughs> bullish. I am cautiously bullish. And I would say I am much more bullish than bearish. And I, I am officially no longer a crab. I am a bull. And so why, why am I a bull? I would say that there are several reasons. One, it's, it's just this simple thing, just looking at the, the kind of fear that is in the market right now. I mean, we're talking, I, I really believe that we are at a point and maybe we're moving beyond this right now. You know, S&P is moving back up, the Dow, the NASDAQ moving back up, crypto seems like it's, uh, it's on its way back up. And um, here's what I think is happening right now. I think we have reached peak oversaturation of interest rate fears and that this little dump that we've seen in the S&P, the moderate dump that we've seen in the NASDAQ, that this is a perfect moment for some kind of a shakeout in the S&P and in the Dow and in the NASDAQ and in crypto to get retail out of it before an, a, another leg up. And one thing that I've observed, if you, if you just look at the S&P 500, just look at the chart, look at a 10 year, 10 year time frame chart, you can see a steady slope up 
in the S&P 500 with a few small dips along the way. And then in March of 2020, with all the stimulus that was injected in the system, you see a sharper move up. And now we have 7% interest rates. And there may be potentially uh, either one of two things, in my opinion, either we remain on that trajectory, that sharp move up, or we crash, or I guess three, three scenarios, the third scenario being this, this epic melt-up that I'm going to talk about in a little bit. But it takes time, guys. It takes time for the effects of interest rate hikes to really play themselves out. And so let me pull it up on my computer here. I was looking at a chart. And what I saw on this chart was the last, there's been one time in the history of cryptocurrencies when the Fed raised rates and Bitcoin saw a four figure percent gain during that time was 2016 to 2017. Is that a coincidence? Is it not? It's just, it's one of these things again, where interest rates take actually take time to have an effect. Now the fear that enters the market can have, can enter the market at any point. So the fear of interest rates, that's what we've seen over the last month, two months, but the actual effects, the actual effects take time. And so again, I really, really do believe that this is just a shakeout, just to scare us. And now there are plenty of things that as far as volatility is concerned, yes, that, that we have plenty of reasons to at least never relax, but be on our toes, you know, um, plenty of things that we can point to with potential volatility, black swans. But I mean, then again, how many black swan events have we seen? over the last 20 years. I mean, there, there aren't necessarily, there's, there's market crashes, there's market corrections, but you could make a point that, that COVID was really the only black swan event. And we, we talk about black swans way too much, but from an on-chain perspective, there are certain things that I'm also seeing here. And um, the, the, the first thing that I really have to say is we're seeing bottoming structures forming on several major metrics. So what caused Bitcoin to go from $69,000 to $32,000? One of them being the the fears after we saw those super high CPI numbers starting in November, the fears that the Fed was going to do exactly what they're going to do. They want to get the inflation under control. And so, well, all right, we're going to raise rates. That's what they're saying they're going to do. And so there were some people looking forward on November 10th, seeing those high CPI numbers who reacted, I'm like, I'm going to risk off. I believe the dollar is going to rally. And that's exactly what's happened. The dollar has rallied. And so along with that, we have seen a sort of disillusionment form with people who were who were all in that Bitcoin was going to have in other cryptocurrencies, were going to have a blow off top a blow off top in December, it had to happen by the end of the year. And so when they started seeing signs that 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 happened, short term holders capitulated and they dumped at levels that, that we haven't seen maybe ever in Bitcoin's history. And so all of those things, you combine those things into a smorgasbord of FUD, of fear, uncertainty, doubt, and you see Bitcoin's price going down and down. But 
here's the beautiful part about this. And, and I've made a case that we've been in a bear market since April, since Bitcoin peaked on April 14th on Coinbase Day at $65,000. Watch my TikTok for more information about that. But now we're in this level where the gap between the amount of Bitcoin that short-term holders hold versus long-term holders is wider than it's ever been. Short-term holders hold something like 3 million Bitcoin and long-term holders hold about the well no exchanges hold somewhere between two and two and a half million bitcoin and then long-term holders hold the rest so how much is that that long-term holds holders hold about 13 million bitcoin versus three million for short-term holders that is a gap of 10 million at the point of the bear market bottom in, in, in December of 2018, the gap between short-term holders and long-term holders was about eight and a half million. And at the gap at the bear market bottom between the 2013, um, the 2013 peak and the 2017 peak, the gap was about seven and a half million Bitcoin. This is a bottoming formation that is happening between short-term holders and long-term holders. And this to me communicates that we are at a similar point where Bitcoin has bottomed out. And I don't know if 32,000 was the bottom. My guess right now on this day, Bitcoin is at $37,000. My guess, my guess is that $32,000 was the bottom of this mini bear cycle. Are we in the bear market? Yes, we are in some regards, but this bear market is looking very much different than the previous bear markets. And I'll t I talk about that so often that I don't even know if I want to get into that again because I've talked about it so much. And chances are, if you're listening to my first podcast, you've, you've heard my argument for that before. Another thing, dormancy flow is at its, currently at its fourth most oversold in its history. And so where has, when dormancy flow is oversold, Bitcoin's price historically has risen sometimes, no, very often it's, it's been pretty dramatic. So I'm looking at, at a chart right here. I know you're, you're listening on a podcast, so you can't see the chart I'm looking at, but it has entered a certain buy zone six times in its history. And there was only really one time when the price of Bitcoin remained flat after that, and that was the bear market bottom in 2015, in early 2015. It just kind of traded flat for about a year. Now it did, it did rise sharply, but then trade flat after that. But the COVID crash was a phenomenal buying opportunity. And even then the dormancy flow was, wasn't as low as it is, as oversold as it is now. The July bottom was not as oversold as it is now. The only times that we've ever seen Bitcoin this oversold according to dormancy flow is the December 2018 bear market bottom, the January 2015 bear market bottom, and then way early on when Bitcoin went from like $32 to $2 a coin. That's pretty much it. Um, another thing, all right, moving on. Another thing that has me bullish is that I'm seeing on on-chain analytics, um, illiquid supply, illiquid supply continues to rise. I'm not going to talk too much about illiquid supply because I talk about it all the time, but it continues to rise and liquid supply and highly liquid supply are both um, dropping at a steady rate. 
illiquid supply is 75% of Bitcoin's um, circulation right now. So 75% and rising, that is going to continue to rise and, and a large majority of the supply is going to be illiquid. It's going to be from long-term holders, people who have their cryptocurrency in cold storage. Um, and, and so that's, that's a bullish macro sign for Bitcoin. It doesn't matter how low the price goes, the amount of conviction we're seeing is very encouraging from Bitcoin holders. And it's something that we didn't see in December of 2018, it was 2017, and we didn't see that at, certainly at the first peak. People just took a lot of profits and they moved on with their lives. This is not happening this time around, which is why this bear market is going to look much different than it looked before. We, we reached $69,000 Bitcoin in bear market conditions. We could have a mini bull run where short-term holders get a little bit excited, but not a lot excited, and that could easily drive the price of Bitcoin over six figures. And I do believe that that is in store some point before the next halving. But the last, second to last thing I want to talk about with why I'm bullish right now is that whales and wallets of all sizes are starting to buy again. Now, you might be confused by that. I don't know. I know I, I've shared this when, I, when I've shared this before. I've heard people say, I thought whales were already accumulating. And actually, no, they weren't. So according to not just glassnode.com, but Equinometrics, um, the three smallest cohorts of Bitcoin holders, so those with less than one Bitcoin, those with one to 10 Bitcoin, and those from with 10 to 100 Bitcoin, they have been accumulating pretty much since the $69,000 peak. But those, the cohort with 100 to 1,000 Bitcoin and the cohort with 1,000 and more Bitcoin, they were not, they were lightly selling. They weren't doing it a ton, but they were lightly selling. There were periods of more buying, more selling than there was of buying. And so whales, for the most part, were not I don't care what people, they were not accumulating Bitcoin from about $69,000 to $40,000. Once we got to the low 40s, we were starting to see signs that they were starting to accumulate again. So again, I mean, holders of Bitcoin between uh, 100 and zero, they are still accumulating. But now we have the largest cohorts of Bitcoin holders. They are now accumulating, which... If I could show you a chart on my screen, you know, you could watch my videos. What I, what you would see is that the something when this happened in July, when this happened from the crash in May to that bottoming out formation in July, what we saw is that whales didn't really start accumulating until the very end of the pain, you know, of the dip. July 20th, Bitcoin got to $29,200. And it's around that time that they started accumulating again. And what did we do within a span of a couple months? We went from $29,000 to $69,000. I'm seeing something similar happen right now. And one more metric just, oh, all right, well, I'll talk about that in a second. All right, I'm, I'm looking at my computer screen and my notes, and I'm, I'm just getting excited as I'm looking at these things. But one more thing that I want to talk about, and this is something that I really pay attention to a lot. Go to lookintobitcoin.com or just Google MVRV Z-score, market cap 
over market cap minus realized cap over market cap is basically so what does that mean it, it's a metric to show how much the entirety of bitcoin holders are in profit and there have been several points throughout history when the entire the entirety of bitcoin holders were not in profit they were in a loss and there is i believe i believe that those days are over, that there will never be a point when the entirety of Bitcoin holders are in a loss. Why do I say that? Well, 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, 19.1 million Bitcoin have already been mined, something like that. But of that 19.1 million, over 7 million Bitcoin have been either held onto or lost. So what does that mean? That means that there is that that Bitcoin entered some wallets and have never moved from those wallets in a very long time. And so it, it's a certain metric on glassnode.com that they analyze that they would say, yeah, this these Bitcoin, this Bitcoin cohort, the seven million plus Bitcoin is either being held by somebody who plans on never selling it or it's just lost forever. So that 7 million Bitcoin is in a huge profit. And then also uh, the amount of Bitcoin that has been held for 10 years has, uh, has climbed beyond 2 million, more than 10% of the supply. And so we have these huge groups of wallet holders, of coin holders, who are in massive, massive profits. And they're not selling. They're not going to raise that realized cap. Short-term holders are the ones that are going to raise the realized cap as they realize their profits or losses, you know? And so, I mean, if they realize their losses, then that'll bring the realized cap down. But these 7 million Bitcoin that, have either, that are either being hodled or lost, those are, those are in huge profits and they're not going to move. And so the idea that what would it take for the entire realized market cap to go down to the negative, it would take a Bitcoin price of about a little over $20,000. And I've made a case before why I do not believe we've never revisited the previous cycle top. I don't think that's in store for when for the next having for the having after that maybe not even for the having after that there may be a point there will probably be a point as bitcoin levels off that we will revisit a previous cycle top but i don't think that's in store for at least a decade in my opinion so for us to revisit that previous cycle top i i just i don't think that's going to happen so what does that mean let me tell you where the current MVRVZ score is. It's, a, it's at a very low point. It bottomed out at 0.8. And when it tops out, usually at a bull market peak, it tops out at a score of a, like a 9 or 10. In, in February of this year, it topped out at a score of 7.09, which means people were massively in profit. In November of this year, it topped out at a score of 3.5, which means that people were not nearly as much in profit as they were, they've been used to being, which, which is why a lot of whales didn't sell at that peak. In fact, a lot of whales bought the, the first peak in December at $67,000, or should I say the second peak at $67,000. But anyway, for a score in today's score is at one, it's pretty much at one. And 
for if you see the MVRZZ score at a negative score, what that means is that we're at a loss, that the entirety of Bitcoin holders are at a loss. And my hypothesis that I'm saying is that we are never going to see the MVRVZ score in a loss again. I mean, at least until the 2030s. And so for us to have a bottoming out of a score of 0.8, that is, that in my opinion is good enough of, uh, is a good enough bottoming structure. And that is around where I would expect the MVRVZ score to bottom out moving forward, probably over the next decade. So if you look at metrics like this, you're going to see it logically, or just by the numbers, you could see that historically, Bitcoin has had lower bottoming out points. And my argument is basically that that's not going to happen. We didn't have that extreme move up the blow off top that would bring the realized cap much, much higher than it is. And so logically, in my mind, we shouldn't have a bottoming out that is just as bad or worse because the realized cap wasn't brought up enough, basically. So that is my bullish case take with it however you want it take a glean from it whatever you want tell me where i'm wrong but i am a i am now a bull from about thirty five thousand dollar bitcoin that is when i was like okay i'm a bull again i, I was still hesitant at thirty two thousand dollars thinking that maybe we were going to go to 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 the upper 20s, we were going to revisit the 1.618 Fibonacci retracement level from the previous cycle top, which we've never had a weekly close before from its previous cycle top. Won't get into that too much. But um, but seeing that $32,000 does look like a good bottoming point, I am bullish again. Does that mean that I think we're not, there's no way we're going down to $32,000 again? Not necessarily. There could be another, a double bottom, but in general, I think buying Bitcoin at $37,000 is a good price to buy. I really do. I, I mean, really $37,000. What an opportunity to stack those sets. There is, I want to be clear though, there is one concern that I have and that is miners. So how concerned am I about miners? Well, let me tell you this. Let me just share some numbers. So I'm looking at a chart right now. Bitfarms has, oh my goodness, if I could show you this chart, I liked it on my Twitter account. Bitcoin currently, well, no, and in December, as of December of 2021, they had 3,000 Bitcoin in their holdings and climbing. In January of 2021, they had like 100 Bitcoin. So they've gone from 100 to 3,000 Bitcoin. Argo blockchain had something like 400 Bitcoin in their possession between starting in January of 2021 and in December of 2021, they were at 2,500 Bitcoin. Riot blockchain, same deal. 1,000 Bitcoin in their possession. They currently have 5,000. Hut 8 Mining, 3,000 in their possession in January of 2021, currently at 5,500. And then Marathon Digital, 5,000 Bitcoin in their holdings 
in January of 2021, they currently have 8,000 Bitcoin. So that is bullish. That shows a level of conviction from miners that we've never quite seen before. And they are accumulating, but not only are they accumulating, here's the amazing thing. They're buying Bitcoin. Can you believe that miners are actually, they're raising funds, they're going public and they're actually buying Bitcoin. I can't believe it. I, it's just miners don't buy Bitcoin, they sell. You know, they mine, they accumulate, but they sell. And so some of these miners are mining Bitcoin. That's awesome. But here's my concern, a concern, hash rate is rising at a very steady rate. We are reaching new all-time highs every day for mining difficulty with Bitcoin. And so what that does is that that increases the break-even point. And where is that break-even point? The, the very little research that I've been actually been able to do in this, I think the average break-even point is around twenty-five dollars and $26,000. That's how much on average it costs a miner to mine Bitcoin. So right now, you mine a $37,000 Bitcoin, you make profits. And so it makes sense to hold. But what if... What if Bitcoin gets down to like the upper 20s or wicks down? Is there going or it just even stays in the upper 20s or even lower 30s? Is there going to be a point with rising hash rate where the average miner is in a loss? And then what are miners going to do? Are they going to dump their holdings? Are they going to capitulate? That's what happened in 2018, we had that $6,000 floor. It seemed like we were going to hold it. We weren't going to go below it. But then within a span of a week, the price of Bitcoin went from $6,000 to $3,000. And why is that? Hash rate kept rising. Miners, you know, they, they weren't in profit and they capitulated. And so I don't believe that we're going down to the lower 20s. I do believe that miners will remain in profit. But if there is a point when miners are no longer in profit, I do have some fears of a minor capitulation. So what does that look like? I, I don't know, but maybe, you know, maybe we would just go back down to the typical bear market bottom point, which is the 200 week simple moving average, which is currently at about $19,300. And maybe even we would wick below that, go to $17,000, $18,000, or maybe, we have bottomed out and we're going to move up from here. That is my expectation. And so maybe miners will remain in profit. That is what I expect to happen. We will see. Time will tell. But there is a little corner of my mind, especially if there was some kind of black swan event where miners would be forced to stop mining, to dump their holdings, to capitulate, whatever, whatever that would look like. And where I could see the price of Bitcoin going down to a level that it's never been at before. Do I think that's going to happen? What kind of percentage chance do I think would have would that that would happen? I would say it would be a less than than double digit percent chance. But I'm keeping that in my mind for a possibility, and I will act accordingly. And I would recommend that you act accordingly too. So, all right, I am a bull. I am I am a less i'm more than i'm not a cautious bull right now i am in general a bull who short term thinks yeah sure we could go lower but what i see ahead is a move to the 40s maybe even the 50s 
a rejection there, move back to the 40s, maybe even back to the 30s, but eventually another move back up to the 50s so that people can see that, hey, this isn't over. This isn't over. Um, so we'll see, we'll see. There, there are differing opinions here, some that are m- mega bullish, like, whoa, hey, guy, hold on a second, but from people whose opinions I really respect. I'll get into that in a second. The second thing I wanted to talk about was Arizona and Texas. So we have a bill that has been introduced in Arizona that would make Bitcoin legal tender. And so what happens next? A bill has been introduced, SB 1341 by by State Senator Wendy Rogers. And that bill has been introduced. So now it needs to be approved. And then the governor needs to sign it into law. What are the chances that this is going to happen um, I, and it, before I even say that Texas, there's potential with Texas, there's no bills introduced, but we have three gubernatorial candidates who have, in, who have expressed their support to make Bitcoin legal tender. And here's what I want to say. My, my thesis statement, and then I'll explain a little bit more is that this is a major, major uphill battle. I mean, first of all, Arizona. Okay, so one state senator, Wendy Rogers, introduced a bill. I have some friends who are um, in the legislatures of their states. They introduce bills all the time, and those bills get rejected all the time. There's the most likely what's going to happen is that this bill in Arizona is going to get rejected. Not only because of that, but, but Wendy Rogers, just a little bit of what I've read about her, she might be a little crazy. Um, you know, she has... She has ties to some some nefarious sounding groups, if I'm using that word right. She has praised the conspiracy theory group QAnon. I don't know a ton about QAnon, but I know that that has a stigma with it. So I'm picturing somebody in Wendy Rogers who's kind of an outcast as a state senator. So I don't think that this is going to gain much traction in in Arizona. If there is a state that something like this could happen in and be successful in, it would be Texas because, you know, Texas has this attitude. Don't mess with Texas where Texas is the one that's going to stand up to the federal government and that the federal government might be a little hesitant to push back on, but still, Here's the thing with my research that I've, I've found is that um, in the Constitution, it's, there, it's questionable whether something like this can even be done. So I'm going to read Article 1, Section one, Section 10, Clause 1, and here's what it says. No state shall enter into any treaty, alliance, or confederation, grant letters of marquee and reprisal, reprisal, coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in the payment of debts. Pass any bill attainder, ex post facto law, or law impairing the obligation of contracts, or grant any title of nobility. So dissecting that what does that mean what do, what's the interpretation of that well that's something that i'm going to leave to the supreme court because here's what i think would happen if a state moved to make bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies legal tender 
then that would be brought up in courts and the courts, the judges would have to interpret that. And maybe eventually it would make its way all the way up to the Supreme court and the Supreme court would have to decide, is this constitutional for Bitcoin or whatever other cryptocurrency to be made legal tender? That is, it's, I mean, when they wrote the constitution, did they have cryptocurrencies in mind? Of course not, but they had things in mind. They had other things in mind. And so we need to interpret the constitution in light of what, what was the original intent? I am an originalist when it comes to the constitution. I am not a progressive. I'm not, I'm not one of those people who believe that the constitution is a living and breathing document, but the Supreme Court certainly does, which means that they that they, there's some room open to interpretation with wh where are we going um, with this, and so I think the Supreme Court, you know, they <laughs> I'm not going to say they throw out the Constitution. They do rely on the Constitution, but there will be interests from a federal level in rejecting any idea of making Bitcoin legal tender on a state level. Now, there are three somewhat relevant Supreme Court cases in regards to this. There's Juilliard versus Greenman, 1884. There's Gwynn versus Breedlove, 1844. There's Farmers and Merchants Bank versus the Federal Reserve Bank in 1923. Juilliard and Greenman was, is a very interesting one. I didn't read a ton of it. It's a 50-page document. But here's, here's something interesting. This clause only applies to states and not the federal government. So the federal government can make Bitcoin legal tender. But this clause that we're seeing here, that's going to put a lot of restrictions on states, which I would argue is not the original t intent of the Constitution. <laughs> but whatever, whatever, I mean, it's, it is constitutional now that the federal government, but not states, would have uh, a precedent where they could make crypto, some kind of cryptocurrency legal tender. Uh, the other two, I read portions of both of them, and it's just, it's, it's tricky. And so we have years, we have years ahead of us to where we need to see where this is going to play out. I don't have, I have, I, I would label it. I've never, I have a commitment to saying, to never saying 0% chance on anything really, but I, I would say it's as close to a 0% chance that Bitcoin as possible, that Bitcoin would become legal tender in Arizona and, and by, you know, somewhere between a zero and 1% chance that it would be made legal tender in Texas. So that's all I have for that. Let's move on. So melt up thoughts. This would be the last thing that I'm talking about. Here's what I'm seeing. Either there's, there's two people in particular whose opinions I very strongly re respect. Most of you listening to this podcast know of Crypto Weatherman, and he is making a case right now, and I think it's a compelling case for some kind of a melt-up. And I want to define a melt-up. A melt-up is not... Uh, you know, the stock market going from like the, the S and P going from like 450 to 475. That is not a, that's not a melt up. Okay. It's just not a, a melt up is, is parabolic. It, it really is. And so a stock market melt up, how much more so? I mean, you know, that's like 
uh, a quadrennial thing. Every four years, I probably mispronounced that. Every four years, we we kind of expect a melt up with cryptocurrencies, but for the stock market to have a melt up, that is something else. And so, Crypto Weatherman is talking about in cryptos, but then there's somebody I follow. I would strongly recommend that you follow him. Uh, his name is uh, is David Hunter. David Hunter, his username is David H. Contrarian. And you can see links to videos, the interviews that he's had, where he makes a case for why the stock market is going to have this huge melt up the S&P to 6,000. It's currently around 4,500. The Dow to 46,000, something like that. It's currently at $35,000, which for the Dow, that is that is certainly a melt up. The NASDAQ, I don't remember, I think to 20,000, something like that. And from what I understand, well, b- before I even share, share what I understand, um, he predicted, David Hunter did, that the S&P 500 would dump to about $4,300 and then make its way up. And so far, that has happened. And so are we now in melt-up stage? I don't know. But here's the thing that, I, the, the thing that I'm gathering from David Hunter is that he is laying on a fractal of what preceded the 1929 crash. And so do I think that we're going to have something like the 1929 crash? No, I, I think the Federal Reserve and the federal government will step in way before that. They, they're just, they have, especially the federal government, they have way too much self-interest to allow something like that to happen. But he's laying that fractal on and he's saying that, you know, the, the S&P is going to drop something like 70 to 80%. And that's the thing that I have a hard time believing because of everything I just said about the self-interest, the politicians wanting to get reelected and the, the pressure that the white house is going to put on the federal reserve to make this whole thing easier and easier process. But so then should should I believe in the fractal that we're going to have some kind of melt up before that meltdown? Maybe, but maybe not to the extent that David Hunter believes. And so will it even be a melt up? I don't know. But I think the market, the stock market in general, has all the makings of a, of a, of a pretty significant leg up and that what's going to happen that retail is going to be left in disbelief because what does retail believe right now retail is very bearish retail thinks that we're going to have this epic dump and you know without any kind of parabolic move up and i've been in this long enough i'm telling you guys i've been in this long enough to know that there there's no guarantees of a crash and i am th- an uber bear when it comes to the global financial economy on a long enough time frame but the thing that i say over and over in my live streams is that i got into this in 2010 and in 2010 i was like stock market crash is imminent stock market any any week now any month now any year now and then what happened there wasn't one except for the covid crash which was a very much a v-shaped recovery and so this idea that any day now any week now guys i've lived through that and i understand as people as younger people are growing in knowledge and their understanding of what's going on in the american economy the global economy not just the American economy, but the global economy, that they are going to turn very dark and pessimistic. And what I'm saying is that, yeah, you should have that 
as a framework in your mind of something that can and will eventually happen, but there's no guarantees that it's going to happen this year. And I think a lot of people are, are absolutely 100% convinced that it's going to happen this year. There's no guarantees that it will happen over the next five years, over the next 10 years. Do I believe within five years and 10 years that we're going to see a pretty severe crash? Yes, I do. Yes. But if we move 10 years down the line and we don't see a huge crash in the stock market, I'm not going to be shocked, honestly. And I believe that, that stock prices will be higher 10 years from now than they are now. That's, that's close to a no-brainer, even given the, the macro uncertainty. But anyway, here's my thing. I do think that we're going to just continue the move up in the stock market, which will be bullish for the crypto market. But with crypto, I think it's going to take a lot of time. If we don't have this melt up, especially, it's going to take a lot of time. So what kind of time frame am I thinking about? Well, here's the deal. I do believe that there are certain people, certain holders, long-term holders, people who have been holding for over a year who, who are convinced that it's over and that we're going down to $12,000 Bitcoin, you know, an 85% correction like has typically happened. And so we need to get to a point where those long-term holders are going to sell. And so when they sell, which I believe, you know, well, no, I don't believe it. it's a fact that some of them will sell at certain retracement levels, whether that's at $50,000 or $55,000, or maybe even $48,000, that that's going to drive the price down. We're going to see a lot of transfers to exchanges that's going to drive the price down. And then they'll be in disbelief as the price moves back up and we retest those ranges and then finally break through then. How long is that going to take? I mean, here we are, it's February 2nd, Bitcoin's $37,000. It's taken quite a while for this to play out so far. I could see it taking another month, another two months just to get back up to $50,000 and maybe even longer than that. And then there's that old saying, sell in May and go away. We're three months away from May. So maybe, maybe. This, this just takes us throughout the whole summer and we get to the fall of 2022 and maybe then we will be ready for some kind of a mini rally where Bitcoin reaches new all-time highs, maybe six figures. I do believe six-figure Bitcoin before the next halving, but that next halving is more than two years away from now. So however that plays out, I don't know, but again, we reach $69,000 in peak bear market conditions, pretty much peak bear market conditions with the lack of retail interest, the lack of short-term holder interest. And so what can we do if there's just some kind of a mini rally? I very much believe we, we can reach well beyond $69,000 if there's some kind of mini rally like what we saw from December of 2018 to what, July of 20, 2019. And so that's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting just something like that to happen. And not only that, but there's always, there, there's this, this great deal of potential catalysts for higher prices hanging over us, whether it's ETH 2.0, that's gonna be unbelievably bullish for the next, you know, ETH 2.0 for, for 
uh, the next year, two years after that, it's going to be so bullish. Ripple winning the XRP suit, I've made, I've, I will argue till I'm red in the face. If they win that suit, that is going to be a huge boost for the entire crypto market. And then the Fed turning dovish, they, they kind of reverse their, you know, there's four rate hikes priced in right now. Maybe they raise rates once and they're like, oh, this doesn't look so great. We're going we're gonna to raise rates again, or we're going to stop raising rates, excuse me, or, or a spot Bitcoin ETF. Any of those things could happen. Or, you know, what Crypto Weatherman says, a fifth possible thing is Russia moving even more towards Bitcoin. And so that's kind of his thesis statement is that Russia is going to make a pretty heavy move towards Bitcoin adoption and that that's going to be very, very bullish. So there's, there are some potential black swans that are hanging over us, but I would say that there's a lot more catalysts hanging over us that may not cause some kind of euphoria phase, like what we saw with meme coin mania in early to mid 2021 but would cause a, a pretty aggressive phase that would, would drive the prices much higher. So general thoughts, $30,000 Bitcoin bottom, six figures Bitcoin peak. My big thing, the 200 week simple moving average, I want to and I expect to see that at about $50,000 at the next, by the next halving. It's currently at, again, 19,300 or so. So those are my general expectations. And that is all I have for today. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you do, give me some feedback because I would love the motivation to continue with this. And one other thing that I will say is I really, really want to interview people who are running projects. I want to do maybe one interview a week, you know, with NFTs, with cryptocurrencies. And so, and that is an attempt, I'll be honest, to kind of build the following as they spread the word on their discords. But I, I want to learn a lot more about NFTs. I want to examine that. Something kind of clicked in my mind. It's like, why are baseball cards worth anything? It's like we have a picture on a piece of cardboard and we have decided that it's worth something. What's the difference between that and a digital image? Honestly, what's the difference between that and a d digital image that can you know create some kind of rarity like a baseball card has? So I want to understand that space more. And I think interviews will help all of us really to understand the space more, but okay, that's it. Thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a great rest of your day and rest of your week. I will see you in another video and in another podcast. Peace.